an allegory laid on so thick you could drive a magical electric car over it. We're talking the Phantom Toll Booth on today's... We're not affiliated with Netflix. Welcome to KidFlix, the podcast where adults try to definitively rank every kid's movie ever made. I'm your host, Ross Wiseman, and this show is not for kids, so turn this off and journey to the most amazing place, your very own imagination. I think that's the thesis statement of this movie. Uh, my guest today, uh, who is the most excited to, I think, talk about any movie ever on this podcast, uh, she is a writer, a wrestler, and a comedian. It's Hannah Harkness. Hey, Hannah. Hi! Oh my goodness! Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, th- uh, thank you so much for making it possible uh, for for your uh, listeners. The, the backstory of this is that I posted on Twitter that I wanted to talk to a movie, any movie podcast about this movie, and somebody else on my Twitter looped in uh, your pal Ross. Uh, so I'm not in any way like trying to even promote my projects right now. I just <laughs> I got opinions. Yeah, you're just like this is like like it's like a pimple. I just gotta like really just let it erupt. Yeah, I'm maybe a a less gross metaphor, but yeah, no, you we were we were connected by uh, I think two episodes ago. Our our good friend Neil Barnham. Yeah. Uh, so steamed breakfast sandwich blogger, which by the way, thank (laughs) you for your service, Neil. Somebody needs to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Every. like there's some bad breakfast sandwiches out there but also what i like is that he's just like generally positive about breakfast sandwiches even because even like the worst breakfast sandwich you're like i mean it's still like bacon and eggs so i can't really complain about it i I fuck with sizzly still like and it's more of a like i know they're not good yeah (laughs) well no okay so we could talk so we're talking for those of you don't know yeah no like let's not get into a wawa conversation otherwise we'll never talk about well i do have a quick uh thing about sizzly specifically (laughs) like well so i have a friend that used to be like a an assistant manager at wawa and he he did say that like the past few years wawa has specifically gone downhill because they're being very micromanaging about how you build hoagies this is very inside baseball but I do remember um, when I was in high school, my mom uh, ran uh, the religious school at, a, at like a synagogue. And so I was her assistant. And so Sunday mornings, we'd wake up, go to Wawa. We would both get a sizzly, eat it in the parking lot because you're not allowed to bring, you know, unkosher food into the synagogue. Yeah. And God, they were so good then. But like, yeah, I had context. one. Yeah, I had one recently. I decided to get ambitious and try the like beyond meat sausage that they had it Ooh. was a brick hannah it was oh so God. dry and i Yo, told neil about it that yeah they put on there are dry as shit but i still because i just have like this pavlov response of like this was my like comfort thing because i used to live like so close to a wawa i was calling it the pay fridge um <laughs> like and like when i was in glenside it was directly across the street like i could see it from my bedroom window and it was a narrow ass street uh so but still like, still even I remember it. i know the mac and cheese isn't that great either but i still like okay i understand this it's consistent and it it, it is back to my fucking teen years well the mac and cheese like everybody knows it's just like the stouffer's mac and cheese that's yeah, just like cut yeah. out of a, a plastic bag into oh, yeah, of course it boiling is. water it's perfect the bag is huge it's humongous <laughs> but it's like it's, it's like, it's unsettlingly like that. large bag <laughs> Yeah, it's disgusting. But still, like Wawa food, it's just like it's garbage, but it's our garbage. Like I, yeah. I used to work at a summer camp and um 
there was a whole discussion of like, guys, we are all spending too much money at Wawa. And somebody called it gas station food. And even though in my heart, I know that guy was right. I got so angry. I was like, that's not, that's not fair. You can't call it gas station food. Although now it's a hundred percent gas station food. Philly has a, a an amazing way of just as a culture defending shit that is objectively bad, and I love that about it. Doubling down is such an important skill. Yeah, like I remember <laughs> all of the defenders of Christopher Columbus. So you're definitely that's what right. gritty is. Gritty was us doubling down. Like everybody, even like people acted for five seconds like it was unsettling. Yes. Everyone country and we're like are you talking about our cousin no i remember this the the day that gritty was announced and released the first the first hour i was like this sucks this is so weird and creepy but then the more i looked at him and saw everybody else's responses and saw him like waggling his head i was like okay no gritty kicks ass it's also an inside joke from hell for people from philadelphia like we (laughs) all know what they're trying to do like that's especially the how like you know on the first day he like fucking shot a kid in the back with a t-shirt cannon we're like yeah this is your shitty family member that shows up at the flyers game you know like if we can't have a good hockey team we might as well have a cool mascot. mascot that's a, it literally an inside joke because gritty is a term for hockey players that aren't good uh and they just did that on purpose <laughs> i didn't know that <laughs> yeah no like hockey slang like inside each other like oh that guy's kind of gritty means it's like bad oh well damn <laughs> like well, great. Great. I, i'm learning a lot speaking of learning yeah uh, the phantom toll booth boom there co- there goes that uh interstitial so okay so like we said, you were very excited in general to talk about the Phantom Tollbooth. Uh, mm-hmm. This was we're talking about the movie that came out in 1970. Not the oldest movie that we've talked about on this podcast, but definitely one of the less modern. So tell t- tell us about what uh, just your why you love this movie so much. All right. Well, I mean, the main the log line is that I be, I strongly believe that this is the only Antifa children's movie. Um, <laughs> It's just, I have never, like, I have been watching it since I was a little kid. My mom's an elementary school music teacher. Both of the, both of my parents are hippies. They met in music school in the seventies. Um, so pre-verbal, I'm already watching this. And, you know, as a little kid, you just kind of get that it's vaguely educational. It's about spelling and words and numbers. Mm-hmm. It's a musical, it's a cartoon or whatever. Um, but then as you get older, you start to notice, like, first off, it's Chuck Jones artwork. So like, if you're looking at it, like old school, like contemporaneous Looney Tunes and other Chuck Jones stuff, same with the like the Grinch that stole Christmas. It's the same kind of animation, which is kind of unsettling. Like it's like weird and dark in a lot of places, like even in places happy, like if you look at the characters' faces, they tend to like wrinkle up in a really like kind of unsettling specific way. Both Looney's like any, anything that Chuck Jones touches is like that kind of art style that's kind of jarring. And then when you grow up and you do you mind if i just like summarize the plot of the movie or? honestly please do because i'm not sure if i could yeah, no and then this is what i was saying before we started recording is that i cannot imagine waking up on a wednesday and watch the first thing you do is watch the phantom toll booth for the first time ever yep yeah i had uh my coffee i had breakfast it was eight in the morning 
my god yeah no you're you're a champion you know that that is not uh, that, like that whew, that's like that's doing that on an extreme mode so the plot of the movie um which by the way it's actually pretty seamlessly adapted from a book by norton juster that i think came out in like the 50s um yeah maybe- it was uh 1961 1961 all right so i was close so that's the this is when this book comes out and it's just kind of contemporaneous to civil rights stuff and it's a children's book and i think norton juster is one of those people where like this is the only thing he did um and then somehow it got like taught in schools and adapted into a movie and adapted into like a children's musical too like i've seen um like because my mom's an elementary school music teacher she's like has access to a lot of wholesale like children's choir music and children's musicals and stuff so hell yeah Yeah, so I know for a fact that it has actually been adapted into a stage musical too, but it's usually like something that's done as like the school play. Um, Probably because it's. Yeah, they couldn't secure the rights to like Annie or Guys and Dolls, so they're like, oh, we could theoretically do this. Right, and there's tangents I could go off about like children's music licensure too, but like it's just because I know too much useless shit. (laughs) Um, So. So the plot of this movie, uh, which only leaves out a couple of scenes from the book, is that this boy, Milo, um, is depressed with, like, monotony of life. And out the gate, like, as an adult, suddenly you realize that he's actually talking about depression. Because Milo, like, they describe Milo gets up, he goes to school, he's bored, he doesn't understand the point of learning anything. And then, like, the... I forget, like in the book, I think it was a conversation he was having with his friend at school, but in the movie, his friend Ralph calls him and it just starts out with just Milo comes home like a fucking 1950s factory worker like energy and lays down on the couch and his friend calls him and he's just like, and he's just like, hey, Milo. He's like, hey, I don't understand the point of being alive. Basically, like these two kids that are like clearly like eight, like, yeah, everything seems so meaningless well like this this whole era there's so much stuff like that where it's just like yeah yeah, like we're post uh uh, like we're i mean in the midst of the civil rights movement this is right around the time of vietnam and the draft and stuff Mm -hmm. and everybody's just depressed all the time like this is i think around the time that winnie the pooh happened um and just like yeah we're just not even Mm-hmm. sugarcoating whatsoever that like the whole world yeah. is depressed and life has little to no meaning yeah exactly and it's just wild watching these kids do that and by the way it's it's butch patrick is the uh is the star is milo he was eddie monster yes um, yeah so it, fucking great out the gate so he's having this like bored conversation all of a sudden he hears a thump in his bedroom um and he turns around and it's a toll booth it's a turnpike toll booth that's independently speaking it's like got a bullhorn on it and it's just like hey do you want to go on an adventure here's like here's your turnpike toll booth and and, and then it slides out this car out from underneath it and it's like by the way this is one of the most violently fast expositions i've ever seen in a movie in my life like maybe they spend three minutes telling you that a turnpike toll booth lands in his thing he gets a magic car he drives into a portal to a seemingly nowhere and he also turns from real uh, life to animated yeah like, i mean that's that starts- shit always gets me i loved it yeah. it was 
I mean, for 1970, I mean, the movie was completed the 68, and then it was kind of like mm-hmm. in development hell because the studio kept losing money. But like, I the, understand it, why it's so fucking subversive. I can't believe they ever even like, like I, I get it. Well, so this was produced by MGM Animation. So like you said, mm-hmm. they did a bunch of Tom and Jerry shorts and uh, like How the Grinch Stole Christmas. They went bankrupt after this movie. They they were just like, yep, this was, uh, this did not work out oops um but yeah you're right you're absolutely right but i also love how 70s and 60s i guess in general phantom tollbooth is because like i guess it's true that the turnpike the interstate turnpike was like 25 years old if that at this point so there's still novelty and fun to like wow you can drive anywhere now yeah yeah that's like something I didn't even think about, but yeah, like they, the, the toll booths in general were even like a novel concept. Um, so he drives into this fantasy world. Um, and also before they leave, um, before he drives in there, like they give him a map and they're just like, okay, you have to pick a destination. And he's like, I don't know where, what any of this is. It's basically like a Lord of the Rings map of a realm that he has no in like idea what it is. So he picks the castle in the air. Uh, in the book, he picks Dictionopolis, but the, who, who gives a fuck? Um, but in uh, the movie, he picks the castle in the air. Uh, and so they he drives into the cartoon realm and he finds out over time after encountering a bunch of things that seem off uh, that like the, the story of the realm that he's in is that there is, a, it used to be called the Kingdom of Wisdom. And then the kingdom when the old king died uh there was split into two different kingdoms the kingdom of words and the kingdom of numbers dictionopolis and digitopolis and they're run by the king azaz which is just az az like th- this movie really just punch the book and movie just punch you over the head with symbolism yeah, over this, and over. this movie is basically like how everything is set up and named and everything it's kind of mm-hmm. like a political cartoon like basically every it's, character has it's a like very very fucking long political like i'm not even in this plot synopsis gonna bring up officer short shrift that's like a whole different fucking thing um but the so it's the kingdom of words and the kingdom of numbers. And then they get in some kind of war that like words are more important than numbers. Numbers are more important than words. And in order to settle it, they go to the princesses of rhyme and reason um, who are like these diplomatic entities get that solve it. problems in the kingdom. Again, just oh, beaming you over the head with symbolism. Um, so they go to them and then rhyme and reason say words and numbers are equally important. And both uh, sides get so angry that they banish them into the castle in the air, which is floating above the mountains of ignorance and like the demons of ignorance. Like, <laughs> so like, we're just, this, this is a whole, you're right. It's a very, very, very long political cartoon. And then they're just encountering different obstacles and demons along the way. Um, I mean, they're mainly just like puns and wordplay. Yeah. Like it's it, like it's, it's all just like, oh, I get it. Yeah. No, you totally get it. But it explains somehow they managed to explain like cultural suppression of knowledge, police overreach with officer short shrift, um, like just overall, like a million different, like when they go up the mountains of ignorance, cause they have to go up the mountains of ignorance to fight the demons in order to get the princesses. Um, so they, 
bring up like individual ignorant demons like uh, these monsters are called like the the know-it-all um the demon of insincerity which is like a tiny bug but somehow convinces them it's a giant monster but like milo finds out he's lying oh, yeah um the terrible trivium i think about constantly like that's a fucking brilliant character it was terrifying in the book it's a dude in like a bespoke suit like a pinstripe suit with no face and his entire thing is distracting yourself with meaningless tasks that need to get done to avoid more important things that need to get done and he tries to like get milo to move a pile of sand from one place to the other with like a, a tweezer I think about that shit all the time. Like, yeah, who the and fuck that, has that definitely hit home. <laughs> like, the terrible, terrible trivium definitely hit home as like a podcast yeah. host putting off doing work that he needs to get done. Like, I'm in the middle of moving to a new apartment, and yeah. I was just like, uh oh, <laughs> this, uh, this is a mirror right now. <laughs> yeah no that i think about the terrible trivium all the time like every single leg of that movie like I, i'm sure sometime in college i wrote a paper on it because i was in both grad school and undergrad and i like go on this rant all the time about this and you know like even just picking apart this movie we're not even going to get into the fact that it's also a well-written musical like yeah. they managed to sing this whole fucking thing to you <laughs> Yeah, and, like, they're all good, like, uh, because, I mean, the movie starts with, like, just this jazzy number, and it's basically these, like, a choir singing about how Milo, the the main character, is just depressed and sad and has nothing going on in his life. And then the end of the movie, they do a reprise, but it's like, we were just kidding, now he's smart and good now. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, like, so when, when you posted, like, this Twitter thread and, like, were talking to me about how subversive this movie was. Like, I was honestly, like, a little incredulous in the back of my head. I was like, okay, sure. Like, I'm sure you could, like, find some symbolism and stuff in there, but geez, la fucking wheeze. Like, okay, so you just mentioned that it's a musical. The the second-to-last song, like, the climactic song when the day is saved, the characters keep singing Rhyme and Reason, Rain Once More, referencing the two princesses but of course they don't call them princesses they just say rhyme and reason rain must more and then similarly they also say sense and sanity prevail and i was just like oh my god because you get distracted and drawn in by all of this um random and seemingly just like dumb wordplay and stuff but then Mm -hmm. it, it like really it comes together in the end and sure the actual moral kind of is unclear like wait so milo is not depressed anymore. Like, I don't quite get how those two things connect. I think that what he's doing is that he understands the value of not being in a world that's con- like constantly torn apart by chaos. So he wants to continue to like maintain that i mean that's that's my interpretation is that like first off he knows that there's more weird things in the world because then when he comes back to ralph he's like ralph i destroyed the sunrise i will yeah what do you mean i've only been gone five minutes like this is you know if this isn't about acid you know just based on when it when it happened like when this was written and when it was produced as a movie like there's definite major psychedelic components yeah this feels like this feels like an offshoot of hr puffin stuff or something like that yeah no like basically this is a lot like michael like milo had a life-changing acid trip and learned the nature of like knowledge and (laughs) ignorance and like it was a musical it was colorful and he was a cartoon the whole time but you know it's not a literal acid trip because the character's like what nine like so (laughs) hey it was the it was the 
late 60s, early 70s, anything's possible. He also, so at the very end of the movie, when he's talking on the phone with Ralph again, because um, apparently this whole thing only took five minutes in, in our world or whatever. Yeah. And uh, the bo- the toll booth then appears in Ralph's living room or wherever he's staying. And he's like, I'm going to go check this out. And then Milo almost like looks at the camera and winks. And I, like all I could think of was, oh man, he's going to let his seemingly only friend go through all of this crazy bullshit Mm -hmm. yeah he's going through an ego death i mean like i'm not gonna take i'm not necessarily gonna take it that far um but he kind of did go through a a fucking ego death i mean Um, that's how radicalization works like you it is uh, how radicalization works and you know like speaking of radicalization i just want to talk about like once again uh if you want to talk about like leading into a movie going hard besides the fact that the whole intro where you know he establishes the turnpike toll booth thing and turns into a cartoon takes maybe like three minutes. You're violently thrown in. The first thing that he encounters on the road is this cop officer short shrift that immediately rolls in on like a, a like a wheelie thing. Like he has wheels for legs and starts going guilty, 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 guilty. And he pulls him over on a road where nobody else is driving and he's not moving. And and, he, and like adjusting his uh, ruling and sentencing to pe- whatever Milo says. Yeah. Cause he, cause the cop is like, you're speeding. And Milo's like, well, I'm not even moving. And then the cop is like, okay. Uh, like uh, idling not up traffic. Not even moving. I bet yeah. I can recite that. Not even moving. I think we can all agree at your age that that's a crime. Uh, and just like, uh, uh, you know, correcting an officer was one, like he changed something and he's like correcting an officer. That's a misdemeanor, whatever. Um, and like, but it was funny. Officer short shrift asks, would you like a short sentence or a long sentence? Milo says a short sentence. And then he gives him a piece of paper that just says I am and uh, officer short shrift goes that's the shortest sentence there is and I'm like that was good but also a uh, look like a cab like officer short shrift is clearly corrupt and just looking for trouble but he does have a good point when he says all boys are guilty because mm-hmm. like mm, that's a little bit uh futuristic yeah uh, yeah just yeah. another way no, that this movie is ahead of its time is like insanely forward thinking and like even more like besides like besides the fact that they just included uh like a corrupt traffic stop situation in the first five minutes of a children's movie at all uh like it, the fact that like that's how they led in with it and even though that is also what happened in the book like this is that that like the first half of the movie is almost directly yanked from the book dialogue and all um and okay yeah because i've also never read the book i re- it was mm-hmm. on my bookshelf but like i don't know why but the the cover always threw me off like the famous cover it's where it's old. like milo that's the main thing is it's old like uh, yeah. it's not and the and the artwork is some is slightly more unsettling than chuck jones. it's a lot more shell silverstein vibe the artwork in the original book than uh, chuck jones is so i can mm-hmm. i can i can imagine like it kind of gives off like this is old and it might like it's it doesn't look as weird as it is when you actually read it um right and i will give credit also to this movie um because the phantom tollbooth book is 255 pages which is like actually a good length to adapt a movie. Uh, like on this podcast, we keep running into movies where like they're based off of 20 page picture books. And you can tell like Clyde with a Chance of Meatball is a great movie, but like that book is super short. Uh, oh, yeah. A few weeks ago when we were talking to Neil about We're Back, a dinosaur story. Is that, is that book Chris Van Allsburg or I'm, I might be mix, mixing that um, up with somebody. I honestly cannot think off the top of my head, but like, 
Yeah, it was just one of those cute picture books, but uh, like where that movie, they actually dove deep into the lore and like all these explanations. We're back. A dinosaur story is just convoluted bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas the Phantom Tollbooth, there's some stuff that's missing. There's like a couple of things where they're traveling towards the mountains of ignorance. Like there's these like, uh, like I think there's this whole thing where they run into this boy that's floating five feet off the ground and they follow him through the woods. Like I know oh. that's not yeah like that that's in the book and it's like not really necessary for the pacing of the movie um but yeah another so i wanted to go to uh, part b of officer short trips existence um is even more like why like we're teaching police shit to children is that when he arrests milo for something that two other characters did the humbug and the spelling bee get in a very cartoon fight the spelling bee is an actual bee um and the humbug's an actual bug and the humbug is which like, everybody could have guessed if you didn't explain that yeah no i do but it, whatever yeah. yeah but like they they're both like pretty like rip fucking ratcheted up egotistical characters and they get right. the big you know looney tune style cartoon fight um in dictionopolis in the word kingdom and a bunch of the word tents get knocked over like when when you're in dictionopolis there's like this open like market type situation where they're just literally selling letters and words and stuff and they yeah, just well, man- the, the best joke there there's a booth that says half-baked ideas and it's just like a bakery and they just have like eh, like this is a word here that you could get and i was like that's that's pretty good actually yeah no it's it's funny as shit um so they get into like they end a fight they destroy a bunch of stuff and then the word guilty floats down on milo's head and then officer short trip rolls in and he's just like oh it was you wasn't it i remember you from earlier and he sentences him to six million years in prison um and then but Milo he goes i sentence you to six million years in prison and milo goes you can't do that. A judge has to sentence you. And he goes, great point. And then he flips around and like turns into a judge and goes, I am also the judge. I sentence you to 6 million years in prison. I'm going to take you to jail now. And then Milo goes, wait, wait, no, only a jailer can do that. And then short trip goes, you're right. And then he just flips around again and is wearing a jailer outfit with the keys. And he goes, I am also the jailer. I'm going to take you downstairs. Like how insane a comment on this system is that to fucking give to a child yeah (laughs) but it's it's so interesting to watch and take in stuff from this era because like you can't like you know I, i you see online and stuff all this discourse about like oh like stuff used to just be for fun and not political but it's like or not, it used to not have messages, but like literally everything has a message. Cause if it didn't have a message, you would just kind of feel like empty afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. um, I remember I was at a friend's house when I was real young and I said like, Oh, I appreciate, I really liked seeing monsters Inc. Because like there wasn't a lesson, it was just fun. And then my friend's dad was like, yeah, but like the whole message, isn't it just like laughter is better than fear or something or like joy yeah. is better than fear and i was oh, like Pixar oh. does nothing but fuck you up with symbolism like they like, I mean, a bug's life is about like a, a union rising up and uh defeating the uh you yeah. know the busters and stuff like that like it's yeah crazy. no, no P- pixar is rough emotionally a lot of times like i have like i have a whole bit about how like fucking coco is just like scaring you into being nicer to your kids like <laughs> but 
um anyway but another thing i wanted to break like is there's like a like one other thing i need to make sure that i don't sure. miss about phantom toll booth is the the doldrums because the first intro to like hammering kids with what depression is like is the opener where milo's just sitting there like yeah i don't like you know i don't really feel like i do anything nothing as a point but the the doldrums is a place this is right after officer short shrift too it's pretty funny they start with like fucking police overreach and then they immediately go to depression um and it's also the depression is the first like actual musical number not like the intro song in the background Mm -hmm. um so milo is just driving along and he's getting sleepy and he's like yeah this is really nice i don't really need to go anywhere i can just relax for miles and miles and he starts like falling asleep behind the wheel the car drifts uh away from like a happy road into like a weird swampland and he just goes off the road because he's not paying attention. He's getting sleepy. And then he just gets stuck in this slime in this swamp. And his car starts to melt down like it's matching the slime. And he's like sleepy. And he's like, what's going on? And then these weird gelatinous creatures are like, you're in the doldrums. And they yeah, start these are the like, lethargian characters. Yeah, the lethargians. Like yes. these like weird gelatinous jelly creatures are called the lethargians. And you know what was awesome? Like, this is what I was talking about with like pretty faithful adaptation of the book. The thing that they're doing in the movie where one lethargian starts a sentence and gets too tired and falls asleep. So another mm-hmm. one comes in and finishes the sentences for that was in the book where they just kept like fucking falling asleep and finishing their sentences. Cause the other guy fell asleep. Um, <laughs> so they basically tell him like, yeah, this is the doldrums. We don't do anything here. Uh, you know, laughing's against the law. Smiling's only legal on alternate thursdays and they (laughs) just do uh, a fucking song about like and and the song is like don't say there's nothing to do in the doldrums and the whole song is them just going like we have a very busy schedule okay so we we spend some time dawdling okay and then we spend another hour uh like waiting for something and then we spend another hour loitering and they just like coming up with different uh like phrases for like fucking around then they're just like i'm you know we're so busy and then milo's like i get it you don't need to do anything this is great and he the slime starts to consume his car like all of the doldrums start to become evil they morph into these slime things and they're also taking over him and it's like they're taking over him they're sucking the car into the muck and then milo just like falls asleep and doesn't want to wake up and that's that's depression that is depression and he can't he doesn't leave until his buddy the watchdog comes down to the doldrums and tells him that if he doesn't start thinking and doesn't start getting active and doesn't start participating in knowledge he's going to be stuck there forever and he's going to die because they don't want you to breathe down there um and that's that's a great one of the great lines out of Milo he's like breathing I've always breathed I can't stop now (laughs) I do love that well also this is uh this scene also so this is when the uh watchdog shows up aka talk Mm -hmm. and they do this thing that I see in a lot of shows and movies for kids where like they're like oh say something smart or like be smart and think and it's just like you just like say math problems out loud and always yeah. eventually somebody just says, say equals MC square. And then they go equals MC square. And then it, they're, oh my God, you're smart now. 
I'm like, yeah, I, I guess that's how it works. Um, but yeah, so this scene, uh, so I have two very weird and specific connections to like bring everything together right now with this um, scene in particular. So the Lethargens, um, so it kind of treats Milo kind of like it does the poppies to Dorothy in uh, yeah, The Wizard yeah, of Oz. Exactly. Yeah. And um, one of the uh, character uh, voice actors in this movie, Candy Candino, who voices the awful Din, he was the voice of the angry apple trees in The Wizard of Oz. Oh my God. I never, yeah, because I didn't research the voice actors that much. I just know there's a lot of, Chuck Jones movies are a lot like the BBC in, in, in that it's like the same 10 people all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then part two. So uh, the Lethargians are voiced by Thurl Ravenscroft, who is probably most famous for voicing uh, another Chuck Jones uh, film, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He's the one that sings You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Oh, wow. So That's bring it all together. But yeah, like the like the like my bread and butter in this are like all of these just career uh, voiceover actors just because mm-hmm. today... Um, and since basically Aladdin, it's been pretty much, con- uh, discussed and confirmed that like now the name of the game is what famous people can voice these characters instead of like mm-hmm. these people that just do voices for a living, like these theater veterans and stuff. So like we have, uh, June Foray and Mel Blanc who are the two kind of the most prolific voice actors ever. So Mel Blanc who does, uh, who was the original person for like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, all of these people like that. And then um, June Foray, who is best known for being uh, Rocky and Rocky and Bowwinkle. She also is Cindy Lou Who in that How the Grinch Stole, Stole Christmas uh, movie, as well as different, uh, like she's in The Gummy Bears. She's in uh, Cinderella. She's in just different Warner Brothers cartoons. And so like these two have just been absolutely everywhere doing everything. And it's just like so lovely to hear just people do just like silly voices that are mm-hmm. just completely unique and not just like, oh, that's The Rock <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that was one of my favorite things about that that little sweet spot of Steven Spielberg cartoons on WB that they had for, there was like a, there was like a golden age of like Spe- Steven Spielberg cartoons, like the Animaniacs and all that and that, all that other stuff on WB Saturday mornings for like, I think it was like a good three, four year clip that we had that and that was a lot of the same thing like the guy that does uh like the guy that does the animaniacs way i forget no the guy that does the pinky and the brain voices in the animaniacs way i've seen him speak at comic-con a couple of times that's like what he does oh my god i i'm blanking on his name and it's gonna drive me me crazy you know exactly who i'm talking about rob paulson yes rob paulson i also do like though because you know you can only do so many voices and mel blanc when he's voicing the dodecahedron he's like i'm just gonna fucking do bugs bunny who cares <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> i'm tired i've done too many um but yeah like i again i was just very surprised at how like cohesive this movie was like yeah i'm, I'm st- i was still super confused and i had to read a few plot summaries to like be able to like fully talk about it today mm-hmm. but yeah it's like this kind of reminds me of my days when I was like a little radical um, doing like I was, I was part of like a youth movement for mm-hmm. a decade. And, you know, we watched things like, like newsies all the time that Disney musical yeah. about. Love uh, newsies. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorites to this day. And like, I feel like this would fit in perfectly like nestled in is just like another um, 
very clear metaphor for societal issues. And mm-hmm. like, you know, there, there, we talk about like a lot of the goofy and kind of ham fisted metaphors in this, but like, it all kind of works in the end. Like you get mm-hmm. what they're saying. You kind of go on this adventure. It, it feels very much like Alice in Wonderlandy, except mm-hmm. less like there's less to unpack and be like, okay, what am I supposed to get from this? I'm super confused. Mm-hmm. It's like right there um, on the money. And so you, you said that you are familiar with the book as well, because I'm curious if you can shine any light on um, because uh Norton Juster, who wrote uh, The Phantom of Tollbooth, he really didn't like the the movie, kind of like a lot of people who see their uh, books mm-hmm. turned into movies like Stephen King with The Shining, and mm-hmm. uh, that's the only one I could think of, but uh, people hate movie adaptations. Like, the Sousa State hates a lot of the movie adaptations. So, like, um, do you, so you said a few things that were left out, but, like, it sounds like at least the spirit of the book was still pretty... For sure. I think that what Norton Juster theoretically, because I haven't like read in depth comments from him about that, but honestly, if I were him, I would probably be think the movie was too upbeat. Um, and I think the movie, I would probably think that like a lot of the zany cartoon, like that whole chase scene between, uh, the humbug and the, uh, you know, like the humbug and the spelling bee and stuff like that. Like that's very like a whole like Looney Tunes we're trying to make children understand this uh, that read. Um, and I, I could imagine like him, cause the book doesn't have as much zany cartoon energy. It's a lot more like, uh, like one of the more downbeat rolled doll books, like the twits where oh. it was. Yeah. Like, one of my favorites. Uh, huh. well it's, yeah, it's, I guess it's kind of similar. Cause another one that I just remembered is um, roll doll completely disowned the Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, for similar reasons, like yeah. they added musical numbers, they made it a little bit more a beat, exactly. And but I think after a certain point, you're just like the creators are like, oh well, it's really out of my control now. And like, if people like it, good for them. Like same with the writer of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He like accidentally stumbled onto it while watching TV, and then when he realized what it was, he was like, uh, I guess I'm already watching it, and it's fine. But like, still, fuck everybody associated with that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think, is there, are, do you have any last thoughts or anything? I can't think of anything that we really missed in this plot. Like, there's a lot of musical numbers that just kind of further, like, build out this world, but... I, oh, I think that a very important plot point is how they got the issue of like, cause re- like the, how they got the issue resolved between the two kingdoms. Um, that's, that's probably a great play- place to oh, end on. Yeah. You're right. The, yeah. Everything. Yeah. So, um, the only way that Milo was allowed to go to the castle in the air to save the princesses is that he had to get permission from both King Azaz and the mathemagician of Dictionopolis and Digitopolis, respectively. Um, so King Azaz finally sees the error of his ways when like Milo asks if they should rescue Rhyme and Reason. And he's like, okay, yes. And here's, here's this magical bag with all of the words that have ever been written in any language. You have this, you can, you can stop anyone. You can stop any, you know, uh, eventually of course they use this to fight the demons of ignorance um and, and then, one of the words that they use is prejudice and you just see it like like tie around these just giant globby monsters and it's like very perfect so good yeah no that and that last fight scene i don't even want to spoil it because it's just so unbelievably <laughs> fucking good um but then they go to the math and magician um 
and they are like, okay, we want to rescue Rhyme and Reason. And he goes, that's a great idea. He's like, wait, has King Azaz agreed to this? And they say, yes. And he's like, then I don't. We don't agree on anything and we never will. Um, and then Milo goes, and if I can prove otherwise, will you let us go? And he says, yes. And he goes, okay, so you're saying that every time Azaz disagrees with some, uh, uh, like disagrees with something, you agree. And he goes, yes. And he says, okay. And every time you agree with something, Azaz disagrees. Is that right? And he's like, yes. He's like, so you do agree on something. You agree on disagreeing. And the mathematician goes uh, like directly into the camera. I've been tricked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very jarring. But like also, yeah, it's perfect. That's it's the, the government. Yeah. Like the fuck. Like that's the two-party system. And then they just softballed it. So like, I don't even mind how ham-fisted the metaphors are because somehow they managed to explain like fascism to children without ever saying that word and i grew up already subconsciously understanding all of this stuff is the other thing you know because this is also just basic hippie parenting i was also watching yellow submarine as a child and that's kind oh, of the there same. you go <laughs> yeah that's a that's an additional because that's not even supposed to be a kid's movie it's just animated in a musical therefore i was watching it um <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's another, how it all like, goes yeah, yeah. But I, I totally agree with you like it it like I think at first and a lot of times when I approach these kind of movies that I'm not familiar with, I I get like snarky in my com in my notes and stuff like, Oh my God, like this is so on the nose. But then, you know, as it goes on and as I finish, I'm, I like, I'm kind of convinced like, Oh, this really kind of worked together. And like, this is one of those movies that I'm sure if I'd watched it when I was a kid, it would be a, a, a classic in my head. And like, I would think and talk about it all the time. Kind of like you yeah, have like, Head too. It's a great musical. It's great, and I kind of am. I'm deathly curious what the musical looks like. So when we're done here, you know, I'm gonna go on YouTube and look for any kids production. Yeah, and I'm sure that it's gonna be like a fucking like in a community center, and it's like everybody's gonna be eleven performing it. But like, yeah, well, when I say it's a great musical, I just mean like the music itself is very good. Like the yeah, it's like one of those musicals. Movie are great. Yeah, like one of those ones that like a, a school will put on because you can just add or get rid of as many characters as you need so that every kid gets a part at least. Oh once. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You can totally have extra demons of ignorance. That's that's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't we all? Uh, but now is the part of the podcast where we rate everything. Uh, we go on a scale of zero to five. You can be as minute and specific with uh, your decimal places. So, Hannah, what do you think you are going to rate? The Phantom Tollbooth today. We are 11. Uh, no, I, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, of course, five. It's, yeah, it's one of my favorites. And it's just does some incredibly possible, impossible things that, or things that I view as impossible with children's writing. Like the, all of these concepts they're getting across are very difficult to explain to children normally. Um, but if you land that shit early at a de developmental stage and then you grow up and look at it again, I'm just like, Right. Police brutality. Like, officer short shirt. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised by your rating. Um, I, yeah. I'm also, like, I feel pretty good about this movie, too. I, like, it's definitely kind of a, one of the better ones that I've watched in a little while. So I'm giving it a 3.67. Hell like, yeah. Yeah, uh, like for what it is, for the conditions that I've that I saw it in, I yeah, yeah. in the morning. I can't again. I can't imagine that's like the first thing you do when you wake up at especially eight a.m. Brack. I'm like, buddy, all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good work. Yeah, I, I I do it all to myself. Um, mm -hmm. but crunching the numbers, 
collectively, you and I are giving the Phantom Toll Booth a score of four point three three five, which in our rankings puts it just above Spirited Away and just Ooh. below Lego Movie Two. Interesting. I just saw Lego Movie Two. I I would have flipped those. Spir- I think Spirited Away is better than this movie, and Lego Movie Two is uh, worse than this movie. But, but I they're clo- honestly, I, LEGO- I watched Lego Movie Two twice, like last week, because I was staying with my niece. So like that, but and I will say the Raptors are like the need their own movie. That I agree. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I also would put like <laughs> Lego Movie Two right around. I just watched uh, Mitchell's and versus the Machines the other night, yeah. and. Ooh, def recommend if you haven't gotten on that yet. But oh, yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, oh, by the way, Lego Movie One, I might say, is the other movie that I would consider an unbelievably subversive children's movie. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, I, like, I, I, my jaw was on the floor when I saw that. I was like, I can't believe that this is the message. Because I remember when they were announced a Lego movie's happening. We're like, okay, stop trying to do like a Toy Story type thing. But yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That no, movie that turned out like to be. Lego Movie didn't touch like it wasn't phantom toll booth stuff it was like corporate stuff like shit about corporate overreach and conformity and stuff like that and yeah, that's this could like, definitely be like in a two-pack or something of like yeah. make your child a leftist as quickly as possible oh yeah for sure um, and so they would throw yellow submarine in there even though it's not a children's movie in any way shape or form it's you just got it pure we'll enough. make it a three-pack um yeah. but <laughs> hannah thank you so much for coming on and uh showing off uh, this movie to me. Is there anything specific that uh, you would like to plug or promote today? Uh, certainly. Um, it's it's just funny to me because I just, I bold onto this podcast to be a nerd, but I do actually have a lot of major stuff I'm promoting on a lot of podcasts right Hell now. Hell yes. Um, but yeah, I have uh, I have a series uh, dropping on IWTV, which is an independent wrestling streaming service uh, uh, in June uh, called Brooklyn Battle Comedy. We make movies. Um, it is a mockumentary about creating the greatest pandemic cinematic wrestling match of all time. Uh, if you do not follow professional wrestling, like most of America, um, during the pandemic, no crowds were allowed. So they started doing a lot of pre-taped fight scenes called cinematic wrestling matches. Um, and me and the wrestling promotion I worked with in the, uh, in the no live crowds era wrote this movie um and starred in it and filmed it all over the summer and then it got signed to IWTV it's going to be like dropping in series form um and it's due to come out sometime in June right now we're in second round of Indiegogo funding but it's already shot like we're just doing post-production costs and paying our bills but it's not an Indiegogo where like this is going to happen we're like no no it's happening it's signed we're in debt um (laughs) we We need to pay fucking editor um and that that's like the indiegogo campaign is going to be called brooklyn battle comedy we need to finish a movie um and that should be launching early next week um and then yep and then also in june probably closer to the end of the june uh i um, if you're familiar with like radio plays and fictional podcasts akin to like Welcome to Night Vale, um, I have a project like that coming out on New Queer Order Podcast Network called Kate's Bunker. Uh, it is a fake conspiracy theory podcast that's completely like pre-scripted like a, like a Welcome to Night Vale or just it's theater for radio. It's not a real podcast, right. but it's presented in the form of a, a woman, Kate, played by me 
in an underground bunker going through a messy divorce because she was radicalized in 2016, spouting out a bunch of conspiracy theories that make no fucking sense. I love that. Um, and oh, bringing man. on fake guests and like the guests that come on to talk about the theories are fake. The theories are fake. Um, she's constantly getting in a messy divorce. My ex-wife is Maya. She's played by Chanel Ali and we're constantly getting in these like shitty like fucking phone fights that I don't edit out of the podcast. Um, and the, we get in beefs with other podcasts that don't exist. Um, and just, I'm casting like voice actors left and right in this thing and just kind of pushing it to see where it goes. It's like radio plays have been done for decades and decades and decades. To my knowledge, nobody has attempted a completely fake podcast yet. <laughs> so we're just going to see how that goes. But that is also got a got a whole staff and production team and shit. So it, it is it is definitely happening sometime in the end of June. And uh, to keep updates on that, both my Twitter and Instagram are at Hark underscore it's Hannah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. That all sounds awesome. I'm really yeah, that sounds great. Wrote those down yeah. so I can it's, check it's, them out later. Yeah, Kate's Bunker is going to uh, take this journey with me because <laughs> I, I have thus far, we're, we're pioneering. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, and you know, as always, uh, follow us on social media and uh, uh, rate and review us wherever you get podcasts because, you know, that helps mm -hmm. us out. And uh, I have fun making the show and want to keep doing it. But that is all for today. We will hear you in a fortnight and go, go, gadget, end show.